stand and sing this morning. again now. All our hearts. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised and adored. And so we lift our holy hands in one accord. Sing and bless Blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. We bless His name this morning. Hallelujah. Are you happy to be here? Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Just counted a privilege to be with you all. Amen. We welcome you to service. Amen. It's just it's just wonderful to gather in His name and lift Him up to give Him the glory He deserves. Amen. And that's what I live for. I hope that's your desire. Amen. <clears throat> Why don't we sing that song, Fill My Cup, Lord? Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Oh, come and quit. Thirsting of my soul, bread of heaven, oh, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup. Oh, 
Once again now, sing it with me. out, pour everything out on the altar, amen, and let him take control this morning, amen. Let's sing that song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul, 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, I worship his holy name, and sing like never before oh my soul I worship your holy name and the sun comes up it's a new day dawning and it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes and bless the Lord oh my soul oh my soul, I worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name, and Your rich in love. And your heart is kind For all your goodness I will keep on singing Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find Come on, sing now Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul Oh, my soul, 
power shook His holy name and sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name, and on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near. And my time has come. Still, my soul will sing Your praise unending. Ten thousand years, and then forevermore. Glory, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. My soul, I'll worship your holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Yes, I will worship your holy name. Oh, I will worship your holy name. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you love him? Hallelujah. We're going to change the order of our service. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our broadcast from Hickory Bible Tabernacle. We are glad to have you with us this morning, and we... Um, Regret that it's in a broadcast form this morning, but we are glad you're here, and uh, we just trust that what is said and done today will be a blessing to you. Uh, I know this is always different when we do it this way, and I'm thankful for Brother Jeremy and the technical abilities we have to be able to continue to broadcast and keep everybody connected, at least in this way, uh, until uh, we're able to meet back again in church. Uh, there's actually a lot that goes into the broadcast like this, and so we're very thankful for all the work that's done in all the Christ place. And uh, we have a lot of people who stream and a lot of people who listen to archives. And so uh, in saying that, uh, I don't want to mention uh, the different people who are sick. We have a little bit of a, uh, a flare-up in our church, and there's a number of people uh, who are uh testing positive. There are some that are being tested and some that have symptoms that are dealing with that. And so um, I'm just going to ask you to remember all of them in prayer and uh, we will uh, let you know through the updates that we have in the church uh, about the uh, needs that are represented among us. And, and naturally there are uh, many there. So just trying to stay in touch with folks and trying to make sure that their uh, needs are met as best as we possibly can. So uh, as we begin this morning, and I'll just jump right in, uh, wanted to mention a couple of birthdays, and then we'll uh, have a word of prayer, and we'll read the scripture. January 12th uh, is going to be Jesse Cockman's birthday. Sister Jesse, God bless you. On the next day, January 13th, is Lincoln Clayville's birthday. January 14th is Hans Florian's birthday. Hans, God bless you, 
And uh, we trust that the Lord will give you a wonderful day. And on the same day, it's also William Cross's birthday. So, William, God bless you. And uh, January 15th is Jackie Whitlock's birthday. Sister Jackie, God bless you. And uh, we just trust that each one of you will, uh, as best you can, stay safe and uh, be in good health as much as you possibly can. And uh, we will look forward to meeting again on this Wednesday coming. As you know, we have a broadcast service. And then, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll have church again in the assembly in the fellowship hall. And uh, so we just ask you to continue to keep those folks that have some serious needs uh, in your prayers. I'm going to read the scripture, if you don't mind. And uh, let's take a reading from uh, the book of uh, Matthew. We're going to go to chapter 4. First of all, and we're going to read from there. And uh, if I look sideways a little bit, it's because my monitor is there and I'm just uh, reading from that. So uh, just bear with me here this morning, Matthew chapter 4 and uh, verse 8. This is a familiar passage where uh, Jesus has completed his 40 day fast. He goes up into the mountain and the devil approaches him here and he has that confrontation with him. Um, Brother Branham said that Jesus taught us how to fight in this instance here, how to deal with the enemy that comes. And so let's just read this little portion here in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8. Again, the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Must have been quite a sight to see all the kingdoms of the world. And all of these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord, the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this opportunity again to be able to read the Word of God and to study. And Lord, even though we realize our conditions are not great, we're still thankful, Lord, that we can have an opportunity to be able to gather in this way and study the word of the Lord, and also to pray one for another, and Lord, to be enriched with an understanding that comes only from you. And Lord, I have notes, and I have uh, an understanding, Lord, of these uh, thoughts that you've laid on my heart, but Lord, I can't help anyone to think correctly. It takes you to reveal your word. And so, we realize, Lord, that we are a people who make many mistakes. We have human flaws. But, Lord, when you come on the scene and you reveal your word to us, we know that channel is a perfect channel for you to impart truth. And so I'm asking that you would just come now. And, Lord, prevent me from saying anything that would be contrary. And, Lord, just take the word and just embed it in every heart like a seed that it might come to pass and bring forth good things. I pray especially for those who are sick, those who are suffering symptoms today, those who are dealing with this virus and other issues in their life. I commit them into your hands, Lord. We know that you're a God of mercy and a God who heals. And so we ask your blessing, Lord, upon each one and each family that's represented in our assembly. I commit them to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, uh, God bless you. Let's just jump right in here because I have a lot of uh, a lot of hay on my fork, a lot of things that I want to share with you. If you have your uh, phone and you want to uh, communicate by texting an amen, that's really great. Uh, that helps me. I'm in this room by myself here, and uh, 
uh, it really does help to have that. Now, uh, I wanted to bring just a couple of uh, statements here in an opening remark, and uh, I found this in The World Falling Apart, and this is a, an obvious understatement for us at this particular moment in time. In 1963, this would not have been such a, an understatement. It would not have been as obvious as it is today. But here, Brother Brandon makes a categorical statement. He said, the political world is falling apart. And we're going right back to Rome, here in the United States, just as fast as we can. The Bible said so in Revelation chapter 13. Now, um, I, I'd like to read a little statement here and... Um, in a fear of division and uh, uh, confusion. Uh, I'm referring back to in his second, second inaugural address on March 4th, 1865. Now you can imagine uh, the, the burden that Lincoln must have felt because, you know, he's got a, a country that is, um, you know, one side of that country has defeated the other side in a civil war. The, the, the country still remains intact, which is incredible. Uh, but yet, you can imagine the amount of hurt and the loss that people have felt. Not only their loved ones and their fellow comrades, but you know their properties and their livestock. And, and so much was lost as a result of the Civil War. And you had people walking away from that conflict and they're, and they're thinking, you know, each side is, is still correct. It, it, many times it didn't change viewpoint that people had. Lincoln had the job of bringing or attempting to bring unity to that group of people that were so divided. And in his second inaugural, he made this statement. He said, both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each God, sorry, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any man should dare to ask God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of another man's face. But let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered, and that of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purpose. Amen. Let me read that little portion again. Both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any man should dare to ask a just God his assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of another man's face. But let us judge not, lest we be judged. And the prayers of both could not be answered, and that of neither answered fully. Almighty has his own purpose. I refer back to this little saying of uh, Spurgeon uh, in 1892. He said, let's rest in God's sovereignty and lean fully on his guidance and rely on God's strength and live for God's glory. I'm grateful that God's given us a revelation that transcends pol politics and, and political ideology. I'm glad for the revelation that we have in this hour. So we're gonna rest in God's sovereignty, we're gonna rest in God's justice, and uh, we know that God is one who loves order and decency. Uh, he is a God of his kind of governance, and it's always best when God takes control. And so we're gonna rest in that. I'm glad I don't have to fight that kind of a battle. Now, I, I want to uh, just wade into this here, and I, I, again, let me leave you with this one statement here that helped me to put things in context here, and again, this is the world falling apart. 
Uh, he said, we're happy to know that there's coming a time when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and then we shall reign on earth with him a thousand years. Referring to Matthew 4, and Satan took our Lord up in the top of the mountain in a moment of time, showed him all the governments and kingdoms of the world, and offered them to him. But he flatly refused them because he knew someday he was falling heir to them. And we don't look at things that go on so much temporarily now, but we look to the end of the road where the rewards are given. I think that's a great advice. You can easily get caught up in looking at things now and thinking, well, you know, this is out of control and that's out of control. Brother Branham very carefully says that God never loses control. And so don't you think it's out of control, but rather believe that God is fulfilling his word and setting things up so that his word becomes fulfilled in its season. And so Brother Bram says, we don't look at things going on so temporarily. Remember now, this is 1963, and you have, uh, you know, the, uh, the different things that were going on back in that particular time, the unrest in society and uh, the changes in, in the youth culture. Uh, you had uh, John F. Kennedy uh, was going to be assassinated this particular year, Martin Luther King. You had the race situation uh, in the South and lots and lots of other things, Cuba and the Bay of Pigs and all the other things that were going on. And Brother Bram says, we don't look at those things so much now. We look to the end of the road. And that's what you have to do. You have to flip to the end of the book and see how it all comes out and realize that God's going to get his people through all of this and everything else that comes our way and bring us to the end of the road where the rewards are handed out. You keep your eye on that prize. You keep your eye on that goal. And that will help you to endure and to uh, persevere through the times that we live in because it can get very discouraging very quickly. It can get very confusing very quickly when you start to s try to juggle everyone's opinion uh, like trying to juggle beach balls. It, it can become very difficult very quickly. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, therefore, you want to be sure that you're not caught up so much in what's happening right now. Look to the end of the road. You remember Brother Branham tells a simple story, and uh, I really like this story, and I think it's fitting, where uh, the, the Schwinn Bicycle Company had the contest for who could ride the bike down the plank and get to the end of the, uh, end, end of the plank, and they would win the bike. <coughs> Excuse me. And you remember Brother Branham says that one little boy who nobody thought would win, uh, he made it all the way down to the end of the plank. Everybody else wobbled and fell off. And they asked him, they said, how did you do it? And he said very simply, he said, I just kept my eyes on the end of the plank. I didn't look at where my wheels were. I looked at the end of the plank. That's exactly what we've got to do. We've got to look at the end of the plank. Keep your eyes on the end of the story. Uh, the narrative is very clear. The, the storyline is very clear. And we know where it leads. We know where it brings the bride of Christ. The rest of the people are in different places at the end of the story. But the bride is in, in glory, in, wed in the wedding supper, in the millennium for a thousand years, and then new heavens and new earth. Keep your eyes on that. Don't get too caught up in everyone's opinion and everybody's idea and what the media is portraying at this particular point in time. Yes, there are going to be changes. Yes, there's going to be you know a different kind of administration. Yes, common sense would tell you that this nation's got to turn a certain way. Common understanding of the Bible will tell us that this nation's got to go a certain way and its administration's got to go a certain way. There's got to be certain pressures that bring a greater squeeze on the bride of Christ. That's prophesied. That's already said. That's not a shock to us. But your job is not to get too focused on that. Your job is to every day, like, like Spurgeon said, every day, 
you just want to uh, rest in God's sovereignty, to lean in God's guidance, and to rely on God's strength, and live for God's glory every day, and look to the end of the book, end of the narrative, because that's where the rewards lay. The kingdoms of this world all come back to God. And that's what's important. Now, <clears throat> I mentioned to you about uh, reading the fourth seal, and uh, I've just been fascinated with it. Again, I had not read it in a, in a while, uh, carefully. I, you know, sometimes you, you take portions of it out for sermons, but I hadn't gone through it. And then I also went through the questions and answers on the seals where they're asking Brother Branham, well, what did you mean by this and what did you mean by that? And he gives further clarification to things that are said in the fourth seal. And, and this is very important, but don't take my word for it. Here's what he said. So happy to be back in the house of the Lord. This is the opening paragraphs of the fourth seal in uh, 1963. He said, I'm so thankful that being the last of the four horse riders, which I think is one of the most, uh, one of the main messages to the church at this time. If that's 1963, let me tell you, it's gotten a little bit more important uh, in our time because this is a culmination uh, sequence that he's describing here in the fourth seal. And as he looks in the book of Revelation, there's a, a white horse, a black horse, a red horse, and there is a, uh, a combination of these three that congeal into this gray horse uh, image in the, in the very end. And the name of this horse is Death. And so these th first three preceding horses don't go away. They follow. What, what is in one is added in the, in the ride of the next and in the ride of the next and so forth. So there's an accumulation that goes on until, until they all wind up in this gray horse. And so this is important for the church to understand exactly where we are. Brother Branham describes it here in the fourth seal. And uh, he says what, this is the four-point scheme of Satan where he says the first horse was white, and he said he was a, it was a spiritual force that went into the earth, and number two was the red horse, and he killed by the sword and political power. The black horse was when he gave out his doctrine and did so with her fornications and weighed out the food and what they'd give for food for a balance and, and the pennies and so forth. And, and that's, of course, where uh, the, the financial part comes in. And then uh, a pale horse... It, it winds up, and the fruit of this horse ride is eternal separation from God. The name on this horse is death. And so this is, this is an all-out uh, play now in this four-point scheme by the enemy to bring death into the world and bring absolute control and domination in the world so that he is worshipped as God and uh, you know, wants to take the place of God. And, and this is a, obviously a very important thing. It's a very sobering thing. I've, I've gotten lots and lots of feedback and comments from people, uh, not only in our church, but also who are listening abroad and uh, ministers who've commented on things that have been said and never, never realized all those particular quotations were there. And so this is very important to the church. I think it's very important to the bride, and that's why I'm taking my time in going through it. But I have to admit uh, that it's opening up into lots of other avenues of thought, and uh, I, I'm actually um, being careful about what I present here uh, because I don't want to in any way tie what I'm saying here to current events that are going on this weekend in our country. And I don't want to do that. I'm, that's not my intent at all. Um, but I'm, I'm looking back at what a prophet said back in 1963 and after that about uh, how this is all going to wind up. 
in, in the reign of the Antichrist and, of course, where the, where the people of God are. So it is an important message to the church. It's an exciting time for the people of God. Let me tell you something. It is a critical time for you to be on the right side of the pillar of fire with God. And you know what I mean when I say that. And so I don't know who's listening today, and I, 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 you know, I don't know what uh, condition you're in spiritually speaking, but I, I do know this, that uh, this is a really, really good time for you to evaluate your, the, the quality of your relationship with God and also to make sure that you are in harmony and in tune with God and walking with him uh, towards the end of, this, uh, end of this Gentile dispensation. And so let me appeal to you that if, if you need to talk to somebody, you need to surrender your life to Christ, there's no better day for you to do it than today. Because these, these events being fulfilled are not going to wait for anybody except the elect. And every one of the elect has to be in the right place, right time, before we all go. And uh, lots of other people who feel like they've got all the time in the world, uh, that's a sobering miscalculation on your part. Uh, don't assume that you're going to have a whole lot of time to do this. We see events happening right now, and it's just a sobering time. All right. So having said that, uh, we, we look in the in, in this statement here that Brother Brandon makes about governments. And uh, again, this is not a connection to anything that's taken place today, and I don't want to imply or infer that at all. Brother Branham, uh, back in the uh, end of the 1950s, he was investigated by the IRS because of the enormous amounts of uh, money in comparison to his salary uh, that were coming through his hand. He had, he had signed checks that were made out to the ministry uh, that he conducted these meetings with. And, of course, lots of people gave funds to pay off the rental of the properties, to pay for hotels, to pay for uh, the expenses of the meeting. Uh, lots of people came forward and did that. Very, very common thing. And uh, Brother Branham, uh, without knowing the law, he endorsed those checks personally by signing William Branham on the back of the check. And so, therefore, the IRS investigated him, and uh, they assigned all kinds of income tax penalties to him because he did not declare it as income. Well, Brother Branham never took it as income. He was ignorant of that law and did not declare it as income. And uh, they made a prolonged investigation of his ministry and of his uh, accounts and so forth. And uh, it was very nerve-wracking to Brother Branham. Number one, because now he found out he was guilty of a law he was unaware of. And number two, uh, he felt bad because as a Christian, this was not the testimony that he wanted to project. And so this was a, a tough time for Brother Branham. And uh, he went through this and, and uh, he made this comment about uh, governments in general. All right. So I want you to hang on here. He says, when the IRS, when the income tax put me under a burden for checks that people had signed in a meeting to pay off the meeting, he said they went back 15 years and they made me pay 40000 Now, they reduced this penalty quite a lot, but they did finally settle on 40000 I had to get men, he says, with collateral to sign a note or a ticket or a loan that I could pay it off at $4,000 a year and be, or be brought in before the courts. And I said, I don't owe it. But here's the, here's and here's the proof. Here's the sheets of my income tax. And they said, yeah, but then people signed that check and you identified yourself when you signed it. And it became yours when you signed it. So therefore, he was liable for that income. And then he says, you turned it over and uh, they said you turned it over and to pay the price of the meeting. 
And Brother Random asked the question, he said, is that justice? Is that just? And he said, no, sir, it's no, no justice. And I thought, I thought very bad about it, and he felt very bad about it. And when I looked over in the Bible, I saw that every man that ever had a spiritual office in the Bible was connected with the government. Now watch what he says. The government got him because it's the seat of the devil. Take Moses, Jeremiah, Daniel, all the prophets, even the Jesus himself, John the Baptist. They died under capital punishment by the government. The Apostle Paul uh, in Rome and so forth. Now watch what he says. They can't catch him in a moral mistake, in the morals, and anything else. So the devil, his main seat, throws it on with the government. Now connect that with our text. Satan is the owner. He's the administrator, if you like, of the kingdoms of this world. It all is under his jurisdiction, and legally and rightfully it's his. Jesus didn't deny that. And so when the devil seeks to attack a man of God, if he can find some moral flaw or some other, uh, you know, some legal infraction, he'll, he'll, he'll do that. But if he can't do that, then he'll use his old tool, the government, to bring accusation against a man of God. And he says, through history, that's been the case. Whether it's Moses or Jeremiah or, or any of the prophets that are back there, they all had dealings with this world, and Satan is quick. You remember Daniel, when uh, they tricked Daniel into uh, you know, having to bow to the statue, which was the statue of Daniel, and uh, he doesn't do it. He throws open his window, and he begins to pray. Well, the, the government authorities were right there to take Daniel and and uh, throw him into the lion's den as a penalty. And that's an example of how uh, Satan will do whatever he can in order to convict and disgrace a ministry and a man of God in whatever way he can. Let me just say this to you very uh, sincerely. We're all human, and, and let me tell you, like Brother Branham was ignorant of a law, and um, you know they, they would not take his word. They would not uh, you know assess his integrity. They would not include his integrity and his uh, conduct in, in the debate uh, until later on when they checked his mail. And uh, he said, you know, th this is a system that's operating by the book, and it's, it's not so much the individuals, but it's a force behind it that's trying to disgrace the ministry and discredit the man. If you can discredit the messenger, then you'll po possibly discredit the message. And so this is what he intended to do. And I, I would say this, and I say this very uh uh, sensitively, may God have mercy upon us all because we're we're human, and even though we're less of a target than Brother Branham was, we're still a target, and we make mistakes. I made a mistake yesterday in sending out the update, and I sent out a correction for that, and I apologize for that again. But we make mistakes, and we sometimes we are just busy and burdened, and uh, you know we we uh, don't always get the right interpretation of things that happen to us because we're human. But I will tell you something that. We're, we are being watched. We are, we are being uh, pressured by the times we live in and the enemy that is the god of this evil age. And so in whatever way he can, don't take it personal, because long before they persecute you, they persecuted uh, great men of God through the ages and even Jesus himself. And Jesus said, if they hate you, they remember they hated me first. And so uh, that's a truth, if that's any consolation at all. But there, is, there are systems in place in this world <clears throat> that are not of God. They eventually will come back to God, and that's a comforting thing. <clears throat> but there are there are pressures in this world that operate which are not of God. Now, 
Let me uh, remind you of a little scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I mentioned this, I think, last Sunday, that uh, Paul encourages Timothy to be a, a study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman which needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And as I said to you last Sunday, it is imperative for us to have uh, a right understanding of truth. When we divide it or when we minister to the people, we want to be able to cut straight. We want to proceed on the straight path and to teach the truth directly and correctly. If you don't have that, you're going to wind up on a wrong path. Now let me show you one that you're not expecting here. And this is really interesting. In Genesis chapter 1, God blessed Adam and Eve when he created them in spirit form. And he told them to be fruitful, to multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. You are going to be the masters of this earth. You're going to have dominion over it. So I want you to multiply. I want you to expand. I want you to per persevere and also to endure in, in this earth. And so that's the commission that God gave to Adam uh, when he created him. Genesis 9, after the flood, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. I want you to multiply, expand, uh, preserve, and endure. I want you to do that. I want you to grow. And, and God gave that commission to, uh, to Noah and his sons. Now, we know very quickly after that, people who would have been the direct descendants of, of Noah, obviously, everyone in that era was a direct descendant of Noah. In Genesis chapter 11, and, and some of these people who were in the ark would have possibly been alive on the earth at this time. We know that here is a group of people, watch this now, in the building of the Tower of Babel, and the whole earth was of one language and one speech. So there was no barriers to communication here. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the, in the uh, land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach on the heaven, and let us make a name. And that word name in the Hebrew means a monument. Let's make a monument. Now, let me say this. They, they were given a, a commission by God, and this was given in the Garden of Eden. This was given the day after they step out of the ark to multiply, expand, preserve, and to endure. So now here's Nimrod leading the people in a program that now becomes more important than the will of God. This is not God directing them to build a city and a tower. As a matter of fact, in verse 5, he comes down to see the whole thing. That's what the Bible says. And then he confounds their language and they go their separate ways. But this is a program now that's in place. This is a government over the people now that is in place that is celebrating their accomplishment to build a city and a tower that's going to take care of any future judgment that's going to come on the earth. So we are not afraid of any impending judgment. We are not afraid of the wrath of God. We are not even asking God but we are going to build a monument to our own ingenuity and our own engineering ability and our own success and our own brains and our own uh, successes of people because we, we are going to multiply, we're going to expand, we're going to become a kingdom, we're going to become a people, and we're going to persevere and we're going to endure and we're going to grow this thing. And this is what their intent was. You know what they had done? They had misinterpreted these two commissions that were given by God. So Genesis 9, Genesis 1 are commissions given by God. 
Genesis 11, the monument is not of God, but it's a building. It's a government whose agenda is bigger than the will of God. And they, they wanted to do this no matter what God said. They didn't even consult him. I mean, according to the Bible, they didn't even consult him in this time. Brother Branham goes back categorically every single time when he talks about the beginning of denomination, and he starts right here. And he says that in this, this building of the Tower of Babel, this is exactly uh, where it began right here. So you have a program that operates and functions outside of the will of God. And it is essentially a misinterpretation of something that God has said. So therefore, it's imperative, it's important that every one of us operate by rightly dividing the word of truth. I hope you're with me. Uh, if you are, say amen there, if you don't mind, and uh, let me know that you're still out there. And um, we, we, appreciate your, uh, we appreciate your comments there and, and uh, those, that are, those that are online. I want, I want you to be very sure that, you know, there is a very fine line here that you can see kind of logically why this would happen in Genesis 11, but it's a misinterpretation of Genesis 9-1. And so now you have a system potential in the earth that is capable now of taking things over in the world because God said it would. Now let me add this one little piece here that you're not probably aware of, and that is this. The barriers to communication are quickly breaking down. The, uh, the technology exists now where you can actually write an email to somebody in Japan, and when they receive it, it's translated into their language perfectly. There is also the ability now to speak something, and it's translated perfectly to somebody on the other end of the phone call. Uh, that technology is now existent. And I don't mean to scare you or anything else, but I will tell you that uh, there are translators in the message, and I'm not saying negatively anything about this, but there are translators who are working with software and technology that is allowing them to put Brother Bram's voice in there so that it's translated instantly into foreign languages, and it will expedite uh, the translation of the messages in a great way. And that is ongoing. That is not a secret. Uh, that is ongoing in many different parts of the world. Some of our translators are right on the uh, cutting edge of some of this uh, software. So we live in, a, and I'm, all I'm saying is this, is that we're living in a world where communication is not a barrier anymore. It used to be. Uh, borders and, and, and language and communication were a barrier. They were a hindrance. Uh, and, and you had to go through steps. And you had to go through filters or channels or translators in order to get the message across. And now it's coming to the place where it's almost instantaneous and there's no barrier to communication. This is the opposite of what God did in the beginning in Genesis chapter 9. And it is happening that way, I believe, to fulfill prophecy. So this gets really interesting. And that's why I say, when it talks about the mark of the beast and all the rest of it, this is really, uh, this is really becoming an, an intense thing for me. It's becoming an interesting thing altogether. Now, again, back to the fourth seal. God has promised this for this day and for the last ending up of all these different things that's gone on and, and being mixed up. We had Elijah's garments. He said we have Elijah's robes. We have John Alexander Dowie buried up there wrapped in a robe. It was said to be Elijah's robe. He said, what was it anyhow? It was only to take away a truth that is going to be presented. So Satan's at work to try to discredit the message and the messenger whatever way he can and to make false claims or wrongly divide the word of truth so that there is a discredit or a disconnect between people and the, and the truth. 
they had false Christ before Christ Jesus time. They always do that. It's Satan running out a counterfeit or a smokescreen. And remember, I told you that in previous sermons here, that the smokescreen Satan throws up is very, it's very powerful. It's very subtle. But it's Satan running out a counterfeit to upset the minds and the faith of the people before the thing actually happens. That's all. That's what's going on. And so you've got to rightly divide the truth. You've got to rightly figure out, all right, is what we're hearing, is, is the, the ministry in our church, is it telling the truth? Are we, are we uh, you know, coming back to the word every time? There may be things happening we don't fully understand or can't fully explain, but I will tell you something. You need to sharpen your discernment. You need to make sure that you're not upset uh, in your mind and in your faith because of things that are actually going on because all around us, Satan is throwing smoke screens ahead of us in order to upset people's minds and people's faith. This is not an hour to have your faith upset. This is a time to have your faith solid and growing. Let's carry on. Now let's review a couple of quick principles here, and I want this to be very clear for you. Uh, when it comes to the seal of God, Brother Branham said, I believe in speaking in tongues. Again, he's in the fourth seal here. Very important message to the church. There's a lot of a, a lot of uh, summary and blending going on here in this sermon. It's worth reading. If you haven't read it in a while, take it out and take a look at it. I believe in speaking in tongues and all these other things are all right. But just that in itself won't work, and you know it won't work. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So these things don't mean that you have the Holy Spirit. Now watch now. But when he, the person, the immortal spirit of Christ, becomes your personal savior and changes you and throws your view straight into Calvary to this word, something's happened. And no one will have to tell you about it. You know it when it happens. Glory to God. I love that. And I, I think it's very important that we embrace that very simple principle and say this. It's not a sign. It's not a work. It's not a, you know, anything on, on my part at all. It is simply... It is rather simply just the person of God and the encounter uh, of God that, uh, you know, proves a, uh, a new birth and puts the Spirit of Christ on the inside. And how do I know? It's because it brings me back to the Word every time. You're going to be a forgiving person. You're going to be someone who's not critical. You're going to be somebody who is uh, quick to love and quick to show mercy and, uh, you know, quick to bear one another's burdens. You're going to be uh, expressing the character of Christ as you go along in your life. You're going to live under the token. You're going to want to live under the token. You're going to apply the token and clean your house of uh, things that don't belong there as quickly as you can because we realize that, that we live in a world of oncoming destruction where Satan's the god of this evil age. So the Spirit of Christ moves us. It drives us to act a certain way, to live a certain way, to conduct ourselves a certain way with people, and uh, that's very important. It's very important. All right, so let's go on now. This is the immortal spirit of Christ. It's the person of Christ in your life. He's your personal savior. Now, let's go a little bit farther here and uh, turn the opposite. The mark of the beast, he said, I think the seal of God is the Holy Spirit. The Bible supports that. The mark of the beast is to reject the Holy Spirit. So it's the opposite of accepting him as your personal savior and your Lord in life. You reject that. There's only two classes of people and on the side of salvation and rejecting, it began in Genesis. There it is again like everything else began. So there's a rejecting of God's program. There's an accepting of God's program. There's a rejecting of God's word. There's an accepting of God's word. All of that goes on, and it began back in the book of Genesis there, and the examples are very clear. I've talked about some of it this morning. So therefore, 
the, the Spirit of God drives us uh, to live the Word of God. It, it drives us to manifest the attributes of Christ, and that is a really important thing for you to look for in your life. That's the fruits that God is looking for. And, uh, you know, when you look at Rahab, uh, you know, in her life, we don't have anything practically religious that she did in her life. She didn't speak in tongues, you know, that we know of. She didn't do, I mean, she never, in, in what we know, she never even went to church until she probably married the general later on. But she believed God, she believed the word of the messengers, and she hung that token in place, and that's the thing that saved her. So don't make this complicated. The seal of God is that encounter with the living God, and he becomes your savior, and he drives you to the word, and, and lives his life through you. The mark of the beast is to reject the Holy Spirit. There's only two classes of people. We fall in one or the other. It's a serious time. All right. Now, what I'm, I'm, what I'm doing, I'm advancing my slides here, and I'm just being careful to do this. I don't have a, a desk or anything to, to do this on a pulpit here, so just following along. Now, <clears throat> let's look at, at, at some of the other uh, aspects of this as well in review here. I believe according to Revelation 13, 16, uh, this is America's chapter, that the bride will have to stop preaching for the beast is demanding the mark in the hand of the forehead if permission to preach be granted. Huh. I believe according to Revelation 13, 16, that the bride will have to stop preaching. Denominations will take the mark or be forced to quit preaching. Then the Lamb will come for his bride. Just saying what he said. Now remember this statement from last Sunday. The time is coming when you're either going to put your organization into the World Council of Churches. If you do that, you take the image of the beast because you've got a power just like it was in Rome. And if you don't, you'll be an individual, independent church. When you do, the image of the beast is going to close your doors. You're going to be forbidden. Let's go back to that quote that we just had. I believe according to Revelation 13, 16, that the bride will have to stop preaching for the beast is demanding the mark. In other words, the, 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 the image of the beast, which will be in America here, the image will demand certain things of churches and church systems. I can see that coming. I don't know about you, but I can see that coming. I can see where they will demand certain things of us. And we will have to comply in order to continue to keep our doors open. According to Brother Branham, in two witnesses right here, two statements right here, we would be forced to make a decision. And if you're an independent, individual church, non-denominational, sovereign church, let me tell you, that's going to be the target initially. That's going to be the, the, the group that's subject first. And that's when I believe that we're going to have to have strong faith. I believe that's going to be a time when it'll be a sobering moment when we as an assembly are forced to make a decision in some way or another. Or that decision is made for us because we are not compliant with a religious system that's contrary to the Word of God and the program of God. That's why I say you got to know the program of God and you got to know the system of God and what God's actually doing in your particular hour in order to know what to refuse and what's harmless. There are some things that are happening that are harmless, but there are some things that are happening that have great consequences and we don't want to decide the wrong way. We want to rightly divide. That's why we're studying it now. And in the vernacular, Brother Branham, that's why we hammer it. That's why we 
that's why we uh, be as aggressive as we can. And I'm, I'm just, I, I guess, as I study this and as I'm looking at this myself personally, just in my own study, my own reading and preparation here, I'm seeing there's an escalating seriousness and, a, and an acute awareness of where this is all going that's just creeping into my heart. And I'm just saying, hey, Lord, I, as a leader of a, of a flock, as a pastor, I want to be able to stand firmly on the ground that you've ordained me to be on. But I don't want to lead the people into the wrong decision. So help me rightly divide the word of God. Give to me an awareness of the program of God today, what's right and what's not. But you know, saints, you've got to you've got to be aware of that as well. You've got to be aware of where this is all going and what God's actually doing. Being individual, being independent, has served us well over many many years. But at some point, it's going to cause our doors to be closed. Can I go a little further? Are we okay? I don't. I, I, I should put a big clock on the walls. I really don't know what time I started here, so forgive me. Let me just carry on, though, a little bit because I want to uh, just deal with a couple more things here. I want to uh, keep going. What should we do with Jesus called to Christ? And today the Protestants, he said, are throwing themselves together in the economical, ec economical, ecumenical council. Watch what he says now. The Protestants are throwing themselves together into that system. It's making an image into the beast, a satellite to Rome. When the ecumenical council is forcing and will force every Protestant denomination into it, and it practically is there now, full gospel businessmen and all. Hey, Brother Bram's going to speak in the full gospel businessmen's group for another almost two years, as this is January 1964. He's going to speak in another, uh, another couple of years, but he's realizing where this whole system is taking them and everybody else who's outside of the elect of God. And he says, hey, these people are throwing themselves in there. Now, look. I've been studying this whole idea of the financial aspect of it, and it's it's really uh, it's really a fascinating thing. But there's many of these um, denominational systems who have pooled their resources together and have financed lots of different entities in our in our nation, like uh, retirement homes and retirement complexes and so forth, and pool their resources together in order to make long-term profits. That's not unusual, but let me tell you, many of these denominations are in it together and have great financial investment. They have a lot of skin in the game of being a part of that system in order to reap the financial benefits of it. And this has been going on for a long time, and I can document some of that for you, and I will maybe later as we go on. Watch now. Here's a complimentary statement, the fourth seal. Remember, Judas took the place as treasure and fell by money. So does the church of this day. Uh, hold on now. I, 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 wish, I wish we had hours and hours to do this. Judas took the place of, of a treasurer. He held a bag and he fell because of it. So does the church of this day. If Brother Branham's comparing Judas and the church today, the church has a spirit of a traitor within it. Because that's exactly what Judas did. He betrayed the Christ for money. The Catholic Church chain, charging for novenas, for prayers, charging them for everything, it's almost the same thing to the daughters of the Catholic Church. The whole thing is wrapped up in money. There's where Judas fell, that's where the Protestants fell. Look, 
folks, this is a much, much bigger thing than, than uh, you know, just some simple statements here. This, there's a lot of wealth and a lot of power and a lot of influence that goes on because of this. And I, I mentioned to you about the, 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 the Jews during the Holocaust and the insurance companies that the German government sold to the Vatican Bank and all the rest of it. And you, you think about programs like that. Let me ask you a question now. Why does not the Catholic Church speak out publicly and openly about some of the atrocities that go on in China? You won't find the church speaking out against the, uh, the I think it's the Uyghur people who are in concentration camps and been well documented and so forth. You won't find uh, China or, or the church condemning things that are happening in, with the government of Taiwan and all the other things that China is up to. And you don't find the Vatican speaking out against the atrocities that are done. All right, you go ahead and put two and two together. Because there are numbers in the billions that are given by the Chinese government to the Catholic system because this is how China works. Now, let me, let me say this, that the whole thing's wrapped up in money. The more I carry on with this, the more I realize how correct Brother Branham actually was. He's looking at things back there in the 60s that haven't even developed yet. They're not even in existence yet. But he's looking through the eye of God at a, at a future that hasn't happened yet. And he's telling us something. Judas took the place as treasurer. So does the church of this day. Now you realize where we've come to. Let me tell you, they're not going to let little independent sovereign churches like ours stand in the way of their security and their financial power and their financial investments they're not going to let us stand in the way. We are simply pawns on the board that are easily moved aside in their view. But let me tell you, in the same way that God will stand for Jerusalem in the last day, God will also stand for his bride in the last day. And you can take that to the bank. That's a truth. You better believe that. So a lot of this stuff, when you start talking about it like this, it looks scary. But I will tell you something. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. But we've got hundreds of statements and quotes where, uh, from the scripture where uh, God has actually promised to protect his bride all the way to the very end. Fear not, little bride. It's the Father's will to give you the kingdom. Now, we read this statement last Sunday, so I don't want to dwell on it here, that uh, when he, the Antichrist, gets all the money under, under, under his control, then he's going to break his covenant with the Jews, as Daniel said he would do in the midst of the last half of the 70 weeks and so forth. And during that time, the prophets will rise, Revelation 11. And remember the last paragraph here. Thank God the church will be enjoying three and a half years in glory. Don't have to go through that. And what is it that holds the whole process up? 2 Thessalonians 2. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So we are the reason that this thing has not gone fully into chaos and fully into tribulation. It's because we're here. When we leave, it is, a, it is an opening of the floodgate for all of this to be fully manifested. But all seasons overlap. And that's what's important. Brother Brandon makes it very clear that all seasons overlap. And so that's why we're seeing the integration of laws and changes in systems that are setting the, the stage, if you like. They are the foundation and they are the, uh, the pieces of the puzzle that are going together to make this web absolutely uh, unescapable for people in the tribulation. It is, 
it is going to be a terrible time for the people in that hour, but not for the people of God, because you're the reason that it's not fully manifested. And you're the reason that, uh, you know, we're able to buy and sell. Uh, you're the reason that all of this is still able to go on here. Even though we see the beginnings of limitations in our world, <clears throat> it, it is not fully going to be manifested until we're at the wedding supper. And then it goes on. I'm very comforted by that fact, and I bring it in again because I think it's important for us to, to, to recognize this. Now, this, this system is re re identified in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13 talks very clearly about the image and how this image will speak and have uh, the power of the first beast, and it will cause everybody to have a mark in their right hand and in their forehead. Verse 17, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark and the name of the beast and the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and 6. Let me just pause for a moment and look at this for a moment here. I, somebody sent me this this week, and I thought it was really uh, thought-provoking. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you're not allowed to criticize. And if you don't think that that means something right now, you hang on a little bit. Hang on to this graphic, and you'll find out the full extent of what that means a little bit up the road. Now, Brother Branham said, I seen the crown myself and stood that close and looked at it. Stop. So did I. Uh, when you go to the Vatican and you start to get a, an opportunity to look at the treasures there and all the artifacts there, uh, this is one of the things that you get to see. This is not hidden somewhere. Uh, this is out the, the three-tiered crown that's there. Uh, I happened to be in an audience in January 1978, so I saw the throne, <coughs> which had the vicarious Dei Aphelii on the back of it. <clears throat> uh, everybody doesn't get to see that one, but I got to see it. And uh, Brother Branham was there in the Vatican, and he saw this, uh, and, and the three tiers mean uh, heaven, purgatory, and earth. In other words, he's the vicar of everything that happens in the world. And three powers united together, mixed up in a color, pale, death spoke in a whole thing. So watch what he says. Political, religious, demon powers mixed together, and this is the idea of the black horse, that, or sorry, the gray horse. Everything is mixed together, and this system becomes powerful here. He says, don't try to outwit it. Smart, Satan, yes, sir, don't try to outwit it. Don't try to outwit him. Just trust the Lord. And as I went through it before, smart education, things like that come from the wrong side. So this idea of planning without respect to God's will, he said that comes from the other side and Cain's lineage, just like the Tower of Babel, wrongly dividing the Word of God. So in other words, over the Vatican now, he says, I've been there, it's written, Vicarious Dei Filii, and Brother Branham comes down and he says, uh, if you take Vicarious Filii Dei and draw a line, your Roman numbers V for 5 and I for 1, add it up and see if you don't have 666. Here it is, if you want to save yourself a little trouble. Here it is right here, and there are some letters like the letter A, the letter R, the letter F, the letter E that have no value at all. But the, when you take the, the letters that do have value in the Roman numerical system, you add them up, this is exactly what it comes to. I saw the chair, saw the saying there. Something we grew up with as Catholics, we were very familiar with, you know, paying money for mass cards for the dead, uh, for, you know, the, the, the power of the Pope over purgatory and, and the earth and hell. Very common. That's, those are things that we learned as a, as a, a, a Catholic in, in my former years. And so this is not strange. Your Brother Rams, he's exactly right in what he's saying right here. Now he said, 
in the handwriting on the wall. Now, let me just divert for a minute here, and I want to I want to introduce something here, and I'm not going to be long. I'm going to I'm going to uh, conclude here briefly, but just let me say this. In this great city, he said there were great walls and gates that were made of solid brass. And notice swinging uh, gardens along these walls and in the city. This is the hanging gardens of Babylon. That's what he's describing here. And he said it had a river that ran down through it, just the pattern of heaven. And what was it? It's a perverted heaven that was designed by the devil. It was a perverted system that was designed by the devil. And he said, there it was, in all of its glory. But he said, it's really just an impersonation. And it is a, um, it is a, a, a design, he said, it, that was a perverted heaven designed by the devil. And what was called first the gates of paradise, Babylon, confusion, which means backslidden. See, it's the devil that's trying to unite all of the world under one great ecclesiastical head. Notice the sentence now. It's the devil trying to unite all of the world under one ecclesiastical head. Just let me pause for one moment here. Now watch now. We just take a, a moment here. When we look at a map of the world today, we see nations that have borders. And this is very typical of how we envision the world. If what we just read is correct, let's go back to this quote again. It's the devil trying to unite all the world under one great ecclesiastical head. Now, that's not God's unity, right? That's not God's intent, or that's not God's way. Uh, this is a hybrid or a counterfeit, a perverted heaven, if you like, that he's trying to create on the earth here. It's the devil trying to unite all the world. So we have one world under one headship, and uh, it is uh, the way that Satan perceives it, or is the way that Satan's designing it. Okay, so graphically, we we look at the world today like it is with barriers and borders. Brother Jeremy is on the spot here. Go back one. I'm sorry, we just got a little... Here we go. Here's a world without borders. Here's the same earth, but no borders. And this is what, spiritually speaking now, the Antichrist is trying to accomplish. Now, in order for that to be accomplished... This is not all going to begin in tribulation in the three and a half years when the bride is gone. I'm here to tell you today that this phenomena of a global empire controlled by the Antichrist is already at work in the world. It's already being formulated in the world. Now, there's a lot of rabbit trails we can run down here, and I don't want to do that at all. But I want to give you a quotation that I found uh, in a 
an article. And um, it was a result of a survey that they did. And they took a younger generation of millennials from several different nations. And they asked them certain questions here. And I'm going to give you a statistics on one of them. At 36%, one-third of all the respondents viewed themselves as global citizens. They already think of themselves as global uh, universal uh, citizens of the world. And that is a higher number than those who view themselves as national citizens or members of a religion. So, for instance, there's more, more of these uh, millennials here that will say, uh, you know, I'm a citizen of the world rather than say I'm an American or I'm a Canadian. And 22% of the crowd identified themselves as, uh, you know, a national citizen. And very few of them identified themselves as Christians or Muslims or whatever else uh, in the world. Now, in this article, now this is not the message. This is not a message writer, okay? But I, w I want you to notice what they said. This, this really caught my attention because they're writing this now. Oh, as a matter of fact, this article was a year ago. They're writing this article now here. And... Um, I want you just to take note of what they said. This again, this is not uh, out of a sermon here, but this this is a, a, a kind of a globalist view uh, that is emerging in the world. You should why why all this matters. You should care because we're on the cusp or the edge of a new era. Ever since the Tower of Babel, tribes and nation states have governed the world. Nations meant well-defined borders. A nation means a well-defined border, a language, and a culture. Many people dreamed of a global government, but that's all it was, was a dream. In other words, it was impossible. Such a government would never work in reality. But this generation is tearing down all the obstacles to global government. What was once science fiction, they're saying now this generation is tearing down the barriers that are making this whole thing actually possible. A watch. This is exactly what the Bible said would happen. Again, this is not a believer. This is what the Bible said would happen in the end times. In Scripture, it describes the end times as follows. A powerful global government will dominate the world, Daniel 7, and it will rule over every people, nation, tribe, and language, Revelation 13. Its power will be so immense, it will control every economic transaction on earth, and no one will be able to buy or sell without its permission. Whoa! <laughs> When I read that, I thought, wow, uh, you've got to understand, we're not the only people in the world who have any kind of insight into what's going on. Here's somebody who's actually dividing the Word of God correctly. And they're not distinguishing about the bride and the elect and the wedding supper and the two prophets of Revelation 11 or an end-time message. They're not talking about that. They're just simply looking in the Bible, and they're putting two and two together, and they're starting to figure out, my goodness, this is what we're coming to. This is what we're moving to. And it's sobering to think that the description of this powerful global government, they don't say who's in control. Uh, they don't say that this is you know, connected to the Catholic Church and the Pope and so forth. They're not saying that. But that's the only thing they're not saying. This is an, an, an incredible thing. Now go back to Daniel where they reference this here, Daniel 7. And thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, shall devour the whole earth, shall tread it down and break it into pieces. Why? Because this fourth creature is got death, has got death written all over it. 
And this is the cycle that we're in. This is where we, listen, we're not moving into that. We are there in that cycle, but it's not fully manifested yet because he who now letteth will let. You don't really appreciate how important your presence is on this earth, how important your carcass is to the whole program and the scheme of things in this world. This is not happening fully because you're here. This is not happening because you're listening to me this morning. This is not happening because God's people are still here. And if God has all of his people together with the word of the hour, let me tell you, this thing is going to break wide open and this will not be an earth for you to stand on until God cleans it off with fire. And that, folks, is the reality of where we've come to. And this is what this Marks and Seals is all about. This is a, a, a culmination of things that have been building since the book of Genesis and coming right to this end. And God's got his elect. God's got his people here. God's got all of this lined out. And, you know, biblically speaking, here's where it, it all culminates in the last day. It's not a not, not any kind of a, 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 a guess to God or kind of a shock to God uh, at all. It shouldn't be a shock to the people of God because this is what the Bible says. Revelation 14, the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead, that same shall drink of the wrath of the wine of God. This is all trending to judgment. This is all trending towards a culmination of this. Now, I got to end on a positive note, all right? So, uh, I, I, I mean, this is to me, this is sobering stuff. It's exciting stuff. But this, this idea of a, a, a nation and a world without borders, with a common language, now communication is not hindered because it is the the, the powerful tools are in place to break down barriers of culture, language travel uh we can zoom our way anywhere we can skype our way anywhere hey i'm able to skype my way into your home or onto your phone today without going anywhere i never had to drive uh, 135 miles today in order to come and and be with you and it, it doesn't matter i can talk to to the believers in africa i can talk to brother anwar in pakistan i can uh communicate with people anywhere in the world in anytime i want to because the technology exists now. We're living in a world, essentially, technically, where there, where borders matter less. I don't have to get permission from the government of Pakistan to talk to Brother Anwar in Pakistan. I don't have to get any kind of visa in order to talk to Brother uh, Elias in, in Tanzania. The, the, the restrictions are fading away. The language barrier, fading away. The ability to communicate and transact business, fading away. I, this week I deposited money in, in the account over there in, in Africa for the believers there in their mission work. The, the, the restrictions fade away. You seem to have you know the right codes, the right, the right uh, channels and so forth, and bang, it happens and happens, and there it is, and they can take it and use it over there. I don't need to, to, to go over there to physically do that anymore. I can do all of that right here. It, it's just incredible how fast our world is changing, but that's what Daniel prophesied. And he said, in that hour, he said, this, this, this system, this uh, fourth beast, he said, would be rising in the earth. At the same time, knowledge would increase. At the same time, he said, seal the book until that time of the end when the book comes open. And now you are the, you are the people. You are the ones who God has opened the book for. You are the ones that enjoy the benefit of the open book in our time. It's just absolutely incredible. But I will tell you something, the devil doesn't like it. 
That's why the devil fights me so hard. That's why he fights you so hard. Uh, that's why there are diseases and plagues and pestilences in the world. Uh, that's why there are, uh, you know, uh, increasing pressures governmentally in our world. Uh, it's falling apart. It's falling apart. And God is doing, allowing all of that to happen in order to establish his kingdom in the earth. And the first place he's doing it is in the hearts of the bride of Christ. I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I tell you what, I don't have anybody here. Uh, but I, I just feel like I could really preach at the moment. Now, let me conclude by saying, give, showing you a little principle, all right? These principles are really important here. And I just want you to notice the heart of God, especially when it comes to a time like this, we have to know and understand and have a peace with what's in the heart of God. What does he really think about us? Joel 1. Now, I'm going to give you two scriptures out of Joel here, and uh, we we got to come to Ezekiel. I just, I, I've carried the notes here for two, two Sundays, and I just haven't been able to get to it. But let's start with Joel. Tell ye your children of this. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. This is something worth repeating, okay, multi-generationally, generationally, that which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust has left the canker worm has eaten, and that which the canker worm has left hath the caterpillar eaten. All right, fellas, there's your job now as a grandfather to tell your grandchildren that whole story. And you go back in the book of Joel and look at it and said, there's been a creature that has devoured everything down to the roots. This is not four different creatures. This is the transition of one creature from a palmer worm to a locust to a canker worm to uh, the caterpillar. This is the evolution of that one particular creature, okay? In the same way that it's not four different riders on the, on the horses in, in the book of Revelation. It is the Antichrist changing masks from white to black, white to red to black to gray. Joel chapter 2. Sorry. We'll come to Joel 2 in a second here. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, Brother Branham says. There were four death messengers that killed the tree. Notice the title. The title is The Restoration of the Bride Tree. So Brother Branham is reaching back to Joel and bringing out this principle for us. The palmer worm, the locust, the canker worm, the caterpillar, four messengers of Roman devils, dogmas, killed that tree or tried to kill the tree. One took its fruit, one took its leaves, one took its bark, one took the life Four messengers of dogma killed the tree, all but the roots. So there was something left that God could build with at the very base of the tree. And if four messengers of death kill the tree, four messengers of life restore the tree. Do you get it? God said he's going to restore it. How? By four death messengers he killed it. Satan did. And four life messengers will restore it. God is a restorer. What was the first? Was Martin Luther. Second, was, was John Wesley in sanctification. Third, Pentecost, with the restoration of the gifts, baptism of the Holy Ghost. What is the fourth? He doesn't say William Branham. He says the word. Four great prophets. We know the others were reformers. But God sends a word through to the bride of Christ to restore what that creature had eaten away. In the last days, Malachi 4, Elijah is to come with the, with the very word. The word of the Lord came to the prophet. Turn the hearts of the, uh, of the children to the fathers. And fourth light, four messengers of death took it away. In dogmas, four messengers of righteousness restore her back again. 
Prophesy, son of man, can these bones live? This is Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 39. You ought to read it as we're going to cover it in depth here in a little bit. This is what the what uh, God told Ezekiel to prophesy. He says, say, ask this question. He said, can these bones live? Can God revive something that's seemingly dead and have it stand back on its feet with life in it again? Can it breathe? Can it function? Can it rejoice? And, and he says, prophesy, son of man, to the four winds. And he said, can these bones live? And he says, yes, absolutely. God's a restorer. And this is the promise that he's making through Joel and all through, through Ezekiel. It does it through Isaiah as well, a fascinating story. Here's Joel 2. Be glad, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, the fat shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent unto you. When Satan comes in with his army, God is right behind him with his army to restore. When Satan destroys, God is there to rebuild again. Because God loses none of his. Nobody is taken from his hand. And this is the promise that we have. This is the joy that we have in believing that no matter how lost you are, no matter how dead you are, God's able to take whatever you give him, the very last of what you have, God's able to take it and restore it back to life again and breathe life into it and make those old bones live. He's able to do it. This is a promise of restoration. This is the heart of God. This is what he wants to do. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God and uh, that hath dealt wondrously with you, that my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. So God promises that when I restore you, even after all the damage that the devil has done and after all the problems that have come on the earth and all the betrayal and all the unbelief and everything else, God says, I'll take you because of my mercy and because of my love for you. I'll take you and raise you back up again. And he says, not only that, but I will stand in the midst of you and I will destroy your enemies and you shall never be ashamed. You will not be pulled into the system that's there to destroy the rest of the world. I am your savior. I'm your redeemer. I am your God. And I am the one that's going to pull you through all of this. Don't you worry. He says, don't you be ashamed. I am the Lord, your God. I am your savior. I'm your king. I am all of that. And so therefore in Hosea, he says, come, let us return unto the Lord for he hath torn and he will heal us. He has smitten and he will bind us up. And after two days, and a day with the Lord is a thousand years, after two thousand years he will revive us, and in the third day will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain in the earth. Glory to God. And this is exactly what, uh, what Hosea is promising us, this is what Joel is promising us, this is what Ezekiel is promising us, this is what the, the message of the end time is promising unto us, that he will revive us, and if we carry on, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning. God's got a program, and that program includes you, and that program sweeps you up into that place where we shall stand on the third day in the millennium and be with him a thousand years, and we shall be with him forever and ever. Glory to God. <clears throat> Let me tell you, saints, there are some tremendous promises and principles that are there for us. And things that God has designed for us that the world knows nothing about. The world is becoming, you can see it, the world is becoming enshrouded in uh, mystery, in shadows, and in darkness. Uh, it, it's becoming swept up in the fears that 
Uh, people are wondering, is this the end of things? Is this the end of the world? Is this uh, how it's all going to end? Or, uh, you know, what's what's the hope that we have? Oh, a new government. Well, let me tell you, I got news for you. A new government is not the answer here. Because there is a system in the earth. We've proven it by the Bible. There is a system in the earth that is more powerful than the American administration. There is a system that is a beast that gives power to the image and then one day will take that power back to itself. Satan is not interested in sharing his power for their glory. He's interested in only one thing that is satisfying his demand for power and authority and to be worshipped as God. It'll all go back to him. And your prayers, your thoughts, your uh, energy, and I'm not talking to you as the bride, but I'm talking to you know people in this country, no matter, no matter what you think and no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you pray, you're not going to prevent America from being swallowed up to the point where the church pays off the debt of the American uh, people. And then we're completely sold out. Is that possible? Is that possible? Hey, it's more than possible. It's happening. These are not prophetic things hardly anymore. These are realities that we live in. And like Brother Branham said many times, you need to open your eyes. You need to realize that, hey, this is happening. This is going on. And I'm here to tell you about it. But I'm only telling you what the Bible says. God's response back in the beginning in the Tower of Babel was to destroy the language and destroy that one single language and the communication that they had among themselves. So they had to drift. Now when they drifted, and this is what this is about here in Genesis 10. We're not going to go into it right now. But this is the, the drift of the sons of Noah and how they spread out in three different sectors of that region of the world. And then, of course, populations multiplied and they went all over the world. But in the end time, their names and their descendants come into play because God's going to judge all of it in relation to his people Israel. It's a fascinating story, fascinating conclusion to the story. And we'll get to it here as we, as we move along. But I need to tell you this. When you think about, we think about America, and it, it just this week just broke my heart to see the things that were happening in our nation here and the desecration of sacred symbols of freedom and democracy, things that our forefathers died for and, and went to foreign lands to fight in world wars to preserve, protect our understanding of democracy and liberty, peaceful transition of power. And to see all of that happening and you think, wow, it's really it's really moving into chaos. It's really moving out into a way that's difficult to control. And yet, and yet, these are the things that have to happen. It's sobering to think about the whole thing. Sobering to see it actually happen. But I will tell you something, that the barriers that once hindered these things, they're just crumbling, one after the other, just crumbling and moving in a certain direction. You didn't pray for it. You didn't cause it. We're, we're, just, we're just observers, really. We're just, we're just people that have a message that says, hey, everybody, wake up. Uh, something's been said about this. We are the people now who should have the faith to rise above the fear that comes with all of that. Everything I've read you about the book of Revelation and the things that are coming here. Very fearful things on the earth. And Jesus warned us about it. We are the people, though, who by hearing the same word 
have a faith built in our hearts that rises above that. I've said it a million times. One day I'll stop saying it because I hopefully will be able to just say to you in glory, told you so. Let me tell you, the word we have is God's grace to us. The word we have, if we follow on to know the Lord, that word is more powerful than even the forces that want to hold your body back. The forces that want to force you into an ecclesiastical system that has no connection with God at all. The powers that be in, in the building of, of Babel, let me tell you, they were not motivated by God. God stopped that. Before this thing binds you, God will stop this. He'll stop it for the bride and take us out of here. He'll stop it for Israel and let them receive their two prophets. <laughs> if I had musicians here right now, I'd sing Amazing Grace because that's what it is, folks. It's not that we're deserving of any of this. It's the grace of God that allows us to be able to see and experience all of this from the right side. Let me give you one final statement here and see if I can just pull it up. I just want to give you one last admonition here. Yeah. I think this is it. Sorry. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I haven't found it here. We'll stop here. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads together for a moment here and uh, giving you lots to think about today and we'll carry this on, Lord willing, and See how the Lord leads us here. Heavenly Father, as we pause at the end of our service and we realize, Lord, that your grace has been abundantly sufficient, how you have provided and how you have dealt with us. And Lord, how you have restored and how you have blessed your Gentile bride in this, especially in this last age, we are humbled and we are thankful. Father, I pray you would just encourage every heart. We live in a time, Lord, where things are disconcerting. There are things that are unpredictable in a natural sense, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. But Lord, we're so grateful that all of this has been spoken and all of this is coming to pass because of your word. And Lord, in the same way, everybody in the days of the birth of Jesus were moving around the country and nothing was normal or stable. Here we are, Lord, in this last day. Nothing is normal or stable, but you were fulfilling your word back then. You're fulfilling your word today. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in your will. And Lord, you would minister health and healing to those who need it today. Father, may those who are stricken by this virus and have symptoms, Lord, we curse them in the name of Jesus and pray that you would just give them strength and peace, take away all fear, and Lord, I just ask that you would just move on their behalf, move in their households, Lord. Protect those, Lord, that are uh, afflicted. And Father, may you just sweep through each household of believers, Lord, that are reaching out to you even now. And Lord God, we are a people, Lord, who have our eyes set on you. We have our, our hearts, Lord, in tune with you. And Lord, if there's anyone, Lord, that maybe is out of sync with you at this moment. Lord, may they follow on to know the Lord. May they turn to you, Lord. And I pray that you would give them great grace and forgiveness. We love you. We thank you. We ask your blessing now upon each family until we meet again. 
And may your mercy be extended to each one. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And all the people of God texted. Amen. May God bless you. And uh, we sure appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you again, Brother Jeremy, for your work and uh, being at the church today by yourself and getting this done for us. And may the Lord richly bless you. Thank you, my family, for helping me get set up here and my wife and Lucas. And uh, we, may the Lord uh, bless you and your households, especially those where there's sickness. We just commit uh, each one into your hands now. God bless you. And we look forward to seeing you again.